Hello, everyone. Welcome to Cloud Wars Live, where we talk about today's digital revolution with the business executives and thought leaders who are changing how our world lives, works, plays, learns, and dreams. Our guest today is one of our digital all-stars, Tony Uphoff, who is with us each month to talk about Uphoff on industry. Tony's the CEO of Thomas, which is collecting data and is sort of a platform between industrial buyers and sellers of data. Massive, massive databases they've got there and helping these companies connect and move forward. And that's a position from which Tony's able to have a really interesting perspective on a lot of different industries, companies, buying patterns, and so on. Tony, welcome back. Glad to have you with us. Hey, Bob. Great to be here. Thanks. Did I do justice to where Thomas is right now? You did. I'm, I'm like taking mental notes here. I, you know, I, I may need you in my marketing department soon, but uh, yeah, thank you. And, and it's, uh, I, I think for, for perhaps newer viewers or, or viewers that, that haven't tuned into this on a regular basis, one of the huge benefits we have here at Thomas is that every two seconds, somebody's selecting a product or a supplier in the industrial marketplace on the platform. And now at uh, about three petabytes of buyer behavior data, we have this just remarkable lens really into the industrial economy and buyer behavior. And so it gives us just a fantastic vantage point. And that's, um, you know, so such a critical point for why we've got Tony among the digital officers, this perspective he has on things. And also from within that, it's not just the industrial buying and selling, but also Tony, you as CEO of a, you know, significantly sized company that has itself undergone one of these digital transformations that we hear so many talk about, right? You've gone from a traditional media company, not to really a data platform company and services company. It's profound. And what we wanted to talk about today from some of the notes you had passed across, it's pretty interesting, right? Because as the CEO, you get to speak directly with as a prospect or customer, a lot of these big enterprise software companies, and you've developed some interesting impressions of where that whole customer buyer seller dynamic stands right now. Tony, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, it's interesting, Bob. And I'm, I'm smiling because as you and I pass this back and forth, I think there was some uh, digital head nodding as we were you know, sharing anecdotes and ideas back and forth. And uh, you know, up front, let me say that the relationship it, between buyer and seller, certainly in business to business, is less transactional and more ongoing. So by definition, there's a shared responsibility here. So let me be really upfront about the fact that I openly will throw rocks and live in a glass house at the exact same moment in time as I'm about to do. But all, all kidding aside, one of the things that we've been looking at, first initially looking at the data of product adoption and product demand across our platform, and we can see a, a substantial increase in software products and services along the industrial marketplace. Not news to anybody, uh, certainly not news to you or, or many of your viewers. Software programs like um, ERP systems, obviously, you know, CRM systems, but we're now seeing software adoption in and around the digital transformation of industrial sales and marketing. As we do so, we're starting to see some fits and starts as these companies try to understand, as we call it, from interest that a prospect might have to invoicing and renewing that prospect. How do I now architect these systems together? And then how do I manage all of this? And so what, what we, we end up doing oftentimes is what we call um, the customer experience gap. 
right? Or the, the vaunted customer success gap, as I kind of good-naturedly on, on email, uh, you know, riffed around with you. And, and just to give it one more beat, Bob, and then I'll, I'll hand it back to you to guide the conversation. Um, every major market transition, we define some sort of clever aspiration around the market transition shareholder value we're in this for shareholder value or then we do customer first we believe in customers or we come up with some sloganeering that really is around an aspiration of where we want to go as an industry and i i, I think it's time we get real about the software industry's focus on customer success well that's a fantastic aspiration i think we run the risk right now of that living you know, going down into the, the bowels of shareholder value and ease of use and a lot of, you know, slogans that frankly were a lot about unfulfilled promises. Yeah. Tony, there's a, the, the, the slogan thing that's funny, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm recuperating a little here uh, from Sunday's NFL games. You know, I, the team I follow, we don't have to identify that team. Ouch. It, it, it's had two ugly my, losses. My elbow is killing me. I don't know. It, it just I, could be I, me. I don't know. It's terrible. I'm looking for sympathy, and he gives me the back of his hand. But uh, in the NFL, right, you hear those things, and the announcers, they seem, I think they get compensated sometimes by cliches. He goes, hey, yeah. you want to put points on the board. You don't want to put the ball on the ground. And, you know, after a while, it's, uh, it's mind-numbing. So these, uh, th there is a way that the more those things are said, and with less, in some ways, sincerity behind them, it becomes lost. So you get, in some ways, a model where, these big software companies, and you've got to give them a lot of credit for what they've done, what they've earned, what they've created. But as they move more and more into the forefront of the types of things you're talking about from uh, B2C companies, industrial companies, all sorts of companies, the promise of being able to say, I can help you get closer to your customers. I can do, help you do things inside your company you've never done before. Those become very real. And then perhaps, Tony, that gap that you talked about comes up sometimes when those software companies themselves fail to perhaps live up to that same sort of customer-centric, uh, you know, we're here for you type of approach. Yeah, Bob, I think, I think you're on it as usual. And I, I'll, I'll share a little bit of our journey here that might be helpful for, for viewers and listeners here. So in the spirit of eating our own dog food, we started nearly three years ago now, completely re-architecting our customer experience. And we started from the earliest intentions that they might exhibit as a prospect to the products and services that we offer, let's call that demand generation, all the way through to engagement, to nurturing, through to their becoming a customer, our entire order entry system, our billing and invoicing system, and then the, both the systems and the process for renewing of customers. And as we, did, as we did that, we realized there was a fair amount of technical debt we need to, to, to work through. And as a result of that, we've completely reconfigured over 400 seats of Salesforce, a completely different system, added in a completely different order entry system, completely revamped our entire financial system, including ripping out the financial software backbone that we had and installing a new one, and then adding several other systems that would support this process. And so um, two things I would note. One is what was amazing about that journey for us is because the company hadn't done that in a long time, what you realize is the cheaper, faster, better nature of technology 
from a 10 year span had accelerated so much that the ability to use in many cases off the shelf, lighter weight technology for faster implementation and quicker time to, to customer satisfaction was, was really remarkable. So that was very, very cool. What we also found, however, was kind of core to the conversation here, where there were these incredibly strange and odd interactions with these companies that were preaching customer success or cre preaching customer expectations. So imagine if there was a very large CRM company out there that has been on a nice growth curve over the last several years and has, has a fantastic platform, cloud-based application and, and all kinds of great bells and whistles. And, so in working with that company, as we worked through some of the details here, there was a renewal period that, that came up. During the course of the renewal period, the CFO of our company, by the way, bear in mind, we were customer number six in history for this company. Uh -huh. um, wow. we, we got a phone call from a, a head of sales who called our CFO from a bar. And it was the end of a quarter and said, hey, you need to close this down today and if I can't get a deal done with you, I'm going to cut you loose and I'm going to go to the CEO of the company and actually hung up on our CFO. Now, they were trying to hand us a, an increase and I won't get into the weeds, but from the marketing and positioning of this company to the actual where the rubber hits the road in the implementation. Now, we ended up coming out the other side of that. And this is a great company, but it shows how complicated, Bob, this idea is, is we aspire to help these customers. I, we had another example from a major financial software company. The incumbent had every opportunity to remain as the incumbent, and they attempted to hand us an overcharge for services that we had never incurred. And what ended up happening was this bizarre series of discussions that led with us discontinuing as a company and replacing them with a faster, cheaper, better alternative in the marketplace. And again, this isn't a bad company. They're very successful. And I'm not, I, again, I want to be clear, I'm not throwing rocks. I, I, you know, we, we have our own challenges in these areas too. But what I'm highlighting is in the shared journey towards this aspiration, whatever we want to call this, the customer ex expectation, the customer experience, the customer success, these things are all nibbling around the edges of, at the end of the day, we're trying to solve really foundational problems in the service of our customers, and we're using software and technology to do that. And, and in the way that we work with these companies, it feels to me that there's, we're still fighting through these gaps, Bob, of understanding how to implement that in a way that this doesn't become a, a series of false promises, but also doesn't result in, in poorly executed technological deployments too, which would be even worse. Mm -hmm. Tony, it's, it's fascinating, you know, as, as you describe this, um, you know, I had spent a few years at Oracle and when I was there, one of the things that, you know, one of the senior executives said, we've spent, you know, the last 35 close to 40 years selling traditional on-premise stuff. We're now yeah. switching over yeah. to the cloud and we've changed all of our technology, but we have not successfully or thoroughly changed all of our business processes. So we were applying sort of a customer engagement model more attuned to the old world than the new. And the old model, not so much at Oracle, but sort of everybody was, hey, I'll drive up to your loading dock. I'll dump off a bunch of CDs. You give me a check and I'm going to drive the <laughs> hell out of the, right? Your thing, your problem, your problem. Yeah. You yeah. deal with it. Yeah. So this, uh, and something that I think e each of us has, has heard for a long time is, 
that as difficult as technological change and incorporating technological change or new technologies can be, it's much harder changing human behavior. So it was interesting to hear you say that some of the new applications and capabilities of these software companies continues to rise very nicely. But if they don't address these core issues of, you know, wah, wah, wah over here, customer first, customer first, and over here, I'm going to cut you loose and go to the CEO and then hang up. Uh, well, that, and I, that's, that's going to run out of runway pretty quick. I, I think, Bob, what's fascinating in my, uh, from my perspective as both buyer and seller that is dealing with this idea of digital transformation across sales and marketing from multiple angles, right? So the market that, that we serve is going through a radical digital transformation of industrial sales and marketing. And they're, they're likely a little behind other broad-based industries that have gone through this. And so if, if you use the, the metaphor of first inning or first quarter, I mean, it's, it's early in that process. So we certainly see it from that angle. Our company ourselves continue through you know, a digital transformation of understanding how best to serve our customers through the use of, of technology. What hits me is, is a conversation you and I have had before is in this kind of digital world, as sales and marketing become digital, that isn't just a behavior. It's a different process for interacting. And, and I'll give you an example, as you were, kind of relating your anecdote, what's happening now is the power of these companies is marketing platforms and then sales platforms are in many cases not in alignment. So the, the promise you get from a marketing, and I'm not talking about just a slogan, but the promise you get from the fulfillment of how these companies are driving demand or driving interest or driving engagement to the actual engagement. In many cases with sales organizations, it's almost like we have a 20th century sales model for a 21st century business. And, and my recommendation to the extent that, that I'm heard on this to these types of companies is you need to really get serious about marketing first and then funneling your lens of selling through your marketing promise so that they're not asynchronous. Right now, they're really yeah. asynchronous. And again, let me, let me give an anecdote in fairness here of the fact that I don't live in a glass house. When we started to really accelerate our own demand gen through digital means here at Thomas, the, the company had, uh, had, had, has always had a good customer base and well-known in the marketplace. We wanted to lift that visibility and drive more demand for our own advertising products and services. And so a couple of years ago, we started with a much more sophisticated capability of driving digital demand generation. Worked incredibly well for the company. We found something out the hard way, though. What we found is our independent sales organization that are called Certified Thomas Partners, we have this very sophisticated program where we have geolocation stuff. We can set up appointments for these folks based on ongoing digital demand generation. Boy, we were world-class state-of-the-art at this. We were noticing a fall-off between appointments set and appointments accepted and appointments where a rep would show up. We couldn't understand this, and we kept going through our systems, thinking something was wrong, but it kind of goes back to your cultural point, Bob. What we found is, because these are independent sales reps, if their estimation that the customer size was too small, they simply didn't take the appointment. So the customer would then call Thomas and say, hey, what happened to the, the rep you were supposed to send over? And we're like, oh my God. And so we had to do some lessons and, and online training and, and programming with the certified Thomas partners so they understood how to manage this process. Once we got it in alignment, 
boy, it took off like crazy. But early on, we were like, okay, we built all this great technology, but we didn't think through the cultural ramifications, right? And it's a small anecdote, but I think a lot of the a lot of the companies you and I are talking about, Bob, are, are working through an equal kind of awkwardness between marketing promise and sales delivery, if not service delivery on the, on the customer experience. And Tony, that's so true. And I think for a lot of these very big, very successful software companies, you know, monitoring their quarterly earnings calls, you know, you just hear over and over where these people are saying, as they move into the cloud, as more companies undertake digital transformation, the CEOs are saying, and we, you know, we are finding these aren't just upgrades from existing customers. We're getting net new customers, greenfield customers, you know, whatever they call them. So there's not only a fair number, a very high percentage of companies that have dealt with these big software firms for a while, but a lot of new companies coming in. And if the first experience that these new customers have isn't really good, I think the training we've all had over the last several years is, you know, there's, there's lots of other options. I'm going to go somewhere else. So I don't think they're going to have a chance to make us a, a second chance to make a good first impression on these folks. So the urgency, and I think that that high level uh, strategic approach that you're suggesting here is don't mouth these platitudes. If you're not going to, I don't mouth them uh, unseriously. Don't yeah. mouth them unless you're able to yeah. do even better yeah. in actuality than what you're saying. But, but, it, it's a critical time. Yeah, I think so too. I think you're really onto something with that. You know, you'll you'll remember back in the in the 1990s, Regis McKenna was was a hugely influential figure. He still is, but he 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 was a hugely influential figure in the Silicon Valley. And without overstating it, he he really is responsible for a lot of the things we think of in terms of modern marketing and positioning today at companies like Apple and Compact Computer and a bunch of different companies. Very, very br uh, bright guy. He wrote a thesis that had a huge impact on folks like myself called The Total Product. And what he basically did was to outline in a Harvard Business Review article the fact that you're not selling the product that someone's holding in their hand or that they use at the office. You're selling the total experience, including how they buy it, who they buy it from, how the customer service is deployed. That's the customer's expression of the total product. And it was a, um, I, I would say it was one one step away from being kind of revolutionary at the time because this was this you know when companies were experimenting with multi-step distribution or two-step, three-step, and trying to figure out how to do all these things, and suddenly realize, hey, I'm holding you accountable. You're you're controlling this whole process. Don't tell me your distributor is at fault. I, 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 that's you control that. I don't control that. And I I think of it in context of what you're saying today. So if you look at this again, this idea of interest about your product or service through to invoicing and renewing me as a customer. You may have all kinds of distributors involved. You may have resellers involved. You may have all kinds of different folks or partners involved, but I'm doing business with you. Yeah. So I'm going to, I guess I'll use the expression, hold you responsible for the total product experience that I'm really looking for. I, and, and then I think the other thing you're touching on, which I'm a huge fan of, um, you and I have talked before about uh, the brilliant executive Jan Carlson, who was the guy that resuscitated SAS Airlines back in the 80s. And this was about, you know, it was as close to bankrupt of an airline as you could possibly imagine. And it was in horrible, horrible shape. And he's written a book about the experience called Moments of Truth. But what he did is he mapped 
the entire customer experience from the time when you pull up to the curb at an airline and are greeted by someone who might take your bag to the ticket counter, to walking onto the plane, to the meal on the plane, you know, you can imagine, and he literally would diagram that out and he would identify along the way moments of truth. Mm -hmm. How a customer takes the understanding of the value of your company. And it had a huge influence on me here too. And I think of this, that along this journey from interest to invoice, there are moments of truth here. Now, maybe you can't control all of those, but you can't also be ignorant of them. And if you swing and miss at one, it could be, let me not call it fatal, but hugely problematic. I'll give you one quick related anecdote. Company will remain nameless. Very, very, very large software company. And this company is, is touting a new way of thinking and looking at customer experiences and how this works. Very successful company and rightfully so. Um, again, they're touting the whole idea of a customer experience. I'm getting relentless phone calls and emails from a senior sales executive of that company insisting that we are currently customers. We are not. We've never expressed interest in the product or service, nor would the product or service ever make any sense for a company like ours. And I'm getting relentless phone calls and emails insisting, actually demanding a meeting. <laughs> and I'm looking at this thinking, this is sort of the height of irony. Aren't, if you don't know that I'm not a customer, aren't you trying to sell me something that's gonna make me smarter about my own customers and prospects? And look, I, I wanna be very clear. I am blatantly throwing rocks and living in a glass house on this one. But I mention it because I think it's so easy today for customers, Bob, to identify the gaps you and I are identifying. And you know what happens when a customer or a prospect identifies this gap? Most of the time, they ghost you. Yeah. They don't call you up and say, hey, you yeah. made a mistake. I want you to come in and fix it. They just don't do business with you, <laughs> right? They, yeah. they, they go away. And so I, I think... I think this conversation is fruitful from the standpoint that as we see this incredible adoption of these, these tools, they're there for a reason, they work. But I think as, as people that own the responsibility for, for um, success here, I think customers have to own their own success, to be honest with you. But we have to work as an industry, I think, the software industry in particular, of making sure we don't get too far over our skis and overpromise on something that to your points, Bob, I don't think that we can deliver at this point in time. Yeah, yeah, Tony, you know, it's a, a great series of uh, thoughts there and the anecdotes. So one of the things that that made me think of is, oh, like, let's say in the range of 15 years ago, the, the thinker, uh, analyst, Don Tapscott wrote yeah. a book, you know, about the emerging digital uh, revolution here. And one of the things he was talking about, there's this whole notion of transparency and visibility. And his point, uh, I think he talked about the naked corporation, you know, the ultimate in transparency and visibility. And one of the things that Tapscott said was, he said, hey, if you're going to be naked, you better be buff. And <laughs> if you think about this uh, path that software companies are on, right, because more and more, uh, you know, you hear uh, I mean, Sachin Adela says it uh, relentlessly that every company is now a digital company. Every company is yeah. a software company. Yeah. What if that is true? What then happens to the software companies? And I think they need to move to a higher plane yeah. of value, of relevance, of insight, uh, capability. And I think so this, this sort of call to action or call to self-awareness that you're raising here, and I, I echo 100% with these companies, is 
if you have promises that don't quite match up to reality now, just imagine what this is going to be like 6, 12, 18 months from now as the capabilities of those customers, even like you where you're not a customer or a prospect, you're being told you're a customer. And then the demands that these more enlightened companies in every sort of industry are going to make on the software industry, they better really be good. They better really, really be good. Yeah, it's interesting, Bob, as you're talking, I'm thinking of you're, you're, you're spot on. And, and I think that I, 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 I'll go back and refresh myself on Tapscott's book because I think it's, it's timeless, not timely. Yeah. It's, it's both, right? Um, I think I, I'm, I'm envisioning our own journey to a certain extent in and around some of these types of things as well. And I think it is a, um, it is a real challenge as you start to work with companies and you aspire to, to drive success. I think it, it is oftentimes about setting and, and then checking in on expectations. So, you know, rather than just a slogan or as, as, as I said before, how do you do that? And I just think of a very simplistic example that we do in our own industry as, as we are helping so many of these companies go through this digital transformation of their sales and marketing and supply chain management. One of the things, and it's not a, a new playbook and it's certainly not unique to us, we started to develop something we call the digital health check, where with customers or even with prospective customers, we sit down with them and say, hey, where are you on this? You know, where are you on this journey? Because I could come in and sell you, I could take you to the moon, or I could start with something small. But let's get an understanding of where you are. And then what that oftentimes allows us to do is as we start to build, you know, programs and services for companies, there's a, a level setting of expectations on both sides so that we can achieve customer success this way. And um, I, I, I know some of the best software companies do that. Um, I find as a customer, and we may be living through sort of an interesting era, um, and, and we're not certainly the biggest customer of any of these companies by far. You, you, know, you would know that, but we're a good-sized customer of AWS. We're a good-sized customer of Salesforce. Uh, you know, we're a good-sized customer of many of these types of companies. I don't remember <clears throat> any of those companies ever in my nearly three years as the CEO of Thomas reaching out to say, hey, we'd like to come in and just do a, a touchdown, just kind of see where you guys are at and, and pace along with you. Now, maybe it happens and it's happening in a different part of the organization and people politely say no, but you may be onto something with that idea. And again, I'm probably pointing out something that's painfully obvious in a lot of these enterprise companies are doing. In my experience, I haven't seen it much though. No, and I, I think that, you know, what you just said there, that it's perhaps painfully obvious. I, I, I don't think it's that, that way at all. Uh, and in fact, Tony, you know, just uh, to, push this up to a, another category here. I've been tinkering uh, with this idea that, you know, getting here later in the year, we're eight and a half months, almost nine months through 2019. I'm just starting to think a little bit about what were the particularly big, you know, most high impact things that happened this year. And I think uh, as I've gone through that, one that definitely gets into the top three was the, that uh, deal six, eight weeks ago between Microsoft and Oracle, yeah. where they agreed to put yeah. a very high-speed connector between their two clouds. And it, it, you know, what's the benefit of that? Well, they can each hope to sell more stuff because of that, but ultimately that's how their customers live. Their yeah. customers use both. So yeah. let's get past this. 
Microsoft perhaps came into that with a profile of a company that was open to doing partnerships with other big tech companies. Oracle's profile at that time was perhaps the complete opposite. Like, you know, we, you do your thing, yeah. I do mine. Yeah. And, you know, I ask no quarter and I give no quarter. Yeah. So yesterday at Open World, uh, one of the things that Larry Ellison talked about was an expansion of that partnership with Microsoft. Interesting. To reflect more accurately the worlds that their customers live in. And Tony, not just, so it wasn't just Larry talking about some of the technical details of it, but he said at one point, he mentioned Microsoft and he said, this is a company we have a great partnership with. I think that that's, you know, if you told somebody a year ago, six months ago, that Larry Ellison would say that, I would have said, you know, you're out of your mind. There's no chance. It's just not who they are. But this force of, true customer centricity, the true nature of what can happen when businesses today put the customer at the center of things yeah. as opposed to just, you know, the want, want, want stuff. Yeah. It, it's remarkable. And I think it's only going to accelerate and magnify over the next two or three years. I, I think it's a great example, Bob. I, I really do. And, and I'm, I'm having one of those, wait, Larry Ellison said, <laughs> what? Moments as, as you're talking, but uh, you were kind enough to actually send me some of the background on that. I, 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 I agree with you. Those are uh, tectonic shifts. Yeah. I mean, you, you know, not just because he's a legendary character in the industry, but the, the foundation of which those cultures and the, the, the inertia of those companies has been built through the years was, was yeah, they talked coopetition where you'd compete and cooperate, but boy, there weren't many <laughs> real examples of that. And where there were, it was very rarely um, amongst equals. It was normally, I'm the 800-pound gorilla, and of course you'd like to work with me type of arrangements that they'd trot out. So I, I think it's fascinating. I was a, a guest speaker recently at a, a fascinating event uh, in and around the online payments industry, and it was produced by a, an organization called payments.com. And um, they were focused on the fact that we've had online uh, invoicing and payment in the B2B marketplace for the better part of a decade, but we haven't really seen it take off, right? Today, the predominant form of payment is a PO or a check, right? So it's kind of a fascinating dynamic. One of the things that came up was the exact topic that you're, you're talking about, is if you think about the steps that go from this idea of, you know, customer interest to invoicing, in that industry, they use the term a lot, and you and I have touched on this before, where they'll call it quote to cash. Well, quote to cash is the end of a customer process there's a 70 to 75% of the process that is in front of that, that other companies control. And so you have all these payment companies that are trying to dip their beak at the end of a process here. But increasingly, I think you're onto it that we need to look and architect all of our systems yeah. from the customer experience into our companies. And, and boy, as a company that's just gone through this, Bob, I will tell you, it's not for the faint of heart. Now, I'm, I'm thrilled where we are in that journey, and it's been remarkable. And as I noted earlier, the advances in technology to do what I described today is, I wouldn't call it easy, but it's far easier. It yeah. is far easier, particularly if you have the light, right technical leadership, far easier to do today. But the, the payoff is exponential. The, the ability to, to do two things. To one is live up to the promises you're making to customers, but also I think where you're, you're touching on in, in Larry Ellison's comment, which is really profound, we have a far better understanding now of the world that our customers actually live in. Mm -hmm. 
we, we, it forced us in a good way to look at not just how would we like to sell to our customers. I've shared with you before, boy, I'd love to run a company that I could just sell the way I choose to sell and everybody would buy. <laughs> but I think what you're describing is, is a fairly significant shift of how do you build these systems around customers, which also reflects your partners, your partnerships. It may require you to, to have some partners that you never thought you would get into business with, right? So it's a fascinating way to look at the business. Yeah, and Tony, the, uh, just a final thought on that. It's interesting because when uh, Larry Olson started Oracle about 40 years ago, uh, he said at the time, the, the mindset among uh, not just the technology industry, but among customers as well, was uh, IBM is not an environment that you compete against. IBM is the environment in which you operate. And uh, Mr. Ellison, not being uh, always the, somebody to follow, you know, the conventional wisdom said, well, that's nuts. I'm going to create a different reality here, which yeah. he's done. And I think it's wild that 40 years later, perhaps nudged uh, pretty aggressively by Satya Nadella, but more importantly, that growing realization that it's the customers that are ultimately going to be the ones that pay you money and you better, yeah. whatever your history has been, the future's coming at us faster than ever before, and you better get in line with that. And yeah. sort of in that spirit, Tony, I love a couple of things you mentioned that Thomas is doing, the digital health check, and your pretty ambitious project overall to rebuild sort of the company's business processes top to bottom based on how things are now going to work around the customer, not around what's convenient or traditional for your company. So yeah. you, you've addressed this uh, experience gap yourself. We have. And, and I think, you know, as, as, I, uh, as I joined the company, you know, 122-year-old company had made every major technology transition, you know, through the years and beautifully managed all those, but was at an inflection point. And I think, um, it, it, in all candor, we were probably talking a better game about, you know, organizing around the customer than we had actually done. And a remarkable uh, technical leadership team here and business leadership team here. We embarked about two and a half years ago now on, on, a, on a, I'll use the term journey as, as, as used in the, in the parlance. Um, and it's been remarkable um, what we've learned along the way, um, what we've experienced along the way. We, we've, we've gotten closer with prospects and customers because they provided some fantastic input. Um, we, we, uh, it, it's gone, uh, I would say overall, a little easier than, than I had anticipated. And I think the reason being is we really took the time to really understand how our customers were working today, not just, hey, we've been in this a long time, we know how our customers operate, but to really deeply and profoundly, to the extent that we could, study our customers' process for specifying the types and products and services that we look at and we provide and, and how we operate. And, and I, I guess the last thing I would say to Abub is, I, I'm hoping, and, and as, as a CEO of a company, and, and it relates to what you and I talked about last time, um, we believe here that digital transformation is an ongoing process, not a singular step. And so one of the things that we um, positively preach around our company is we're now built these new systems, but it's an ongoing aspect of optimization and adaptation to make sure and being honest with ourselves and truthful is, is this best serving our customers? And 
let's also listen because next maybe our customers want self-service or maybe our customers want a different channel or they want some other way of interacting with us. And so we want to make sure that we're listening and really thinking about that going forward. Yeah. Well, Tony, a series of great thoughts. Thank you. It was a great conversation here and the whole notion about the experience gap and responsibility for business leaders to live up to the actuality of that, to doing it, not just talking about it. So thanks, Simone. Really enjoyed it. And uh, thanks to all of you folks out there for being with us. And I hope you'll join us next time on Cloud Wars Live.